All right, are we ready to do this? I am always ready, man. The hell was that? I have no idea. Shut, shut the f***ing door. Hello, Internet. My God, do we have the show for you today. We are covering the film Tenet. We have not one, but two, two actors from the film. So, David, tell us, who do we have on today's episodes of TTFT? We have John Orntes. A, he played the, uh, one of the Red Soldiers. And we also have Jeremy Theobald, who who actually uh, went to school with Christopher Nolan and worked on uh, their first few films together. Was that at uh, UCL? Yes. Awesome, yes. awesome. Yeah, so two great interviews coming up. Uh, this is our second episode. If you missed the first episode, check it out on our YouTube channel. We covered Black Panther. Um, if you're not into a full two-hour episode, go into the highlight section and, and find what interests you and take it in in three- and four-minute sections. Um, and one thing they need to do, David, that I always want to tell them to do, I hate when other channels say it, but I say it so much better. Subscribe. Oh, yeah. So why did we pick Tenet for our second film? What made us want to do that? What? I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, our show ranges films from, like I say, from the noir era to the beginning of film, black and white, classic, to the things that just came out. And being that this is one of the first films released after the pandemic and everything going on, we felt that, like, how can we be true artists and not get back out there if, you know, while socially distancing and get back out there into the field of the theater? And to, to be honest with you, when you go to the movies nowadays, it feels like you've rented out the entire theater for yourself. So we IMAXed it. And it was beautiful. Uh, funny story, though, when what happened, you thought we would have the whole theater to ourselves. <clears throat> but there's like maybe four people in the whole theater, including us. We sit down and, you know, we, we paid for our seats. Yes. We just chose other seats when we got there and realized, you know, we could have the best seat in the house. When we got there, 99.9% of the theater was empty. So we was like, hmm, let's just choose the middle because, you know, it hits you from here, hits you from there. You know, and, and it's great. But then all of a sudden I see two people walk in and I'm like, hmm, I, I make a joke. I was like, hey, what are the odds that they're going to they we're in their seats? So I see them doing these little hand movements, these little gestures like the ventriloquist. They're, they're signaling each other, doing all this other stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like, what the, what's going on? What the fuck is going on? This bitch comes up to me and like, hey, I, I, I think that's us. And I'm like, I'm looking around like, I know she can't be talking about the seats. Like, you think that's us? Like, I think I thought their friends were there or something. I'm like, even like, come on, guys, with everything that's going on, like, you're you're basically being some dicks. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're being dicks, but it's okay, though. Two dicks together make for a fun night for some people. I don't know. Yeah, they had us move. And let's call them what they were. They were Twilight fans. They had us move so they could sit down. And then they didn't even maintain those seats for the entirety of the movie. They were constantly getting up. In their phones. Because I think they went to see... Uh, Edward, I think, is his name in Twilight. Right, so um, that's exactly what it was. That they're getting an new, adult, new, new adult Christopher Robert Pattinson, an adult, an adult so, performer. So that was yeah, one of the, the it worst. Was a, it was a great experience going back to the movies. To be honest with you, I felt like we were in the opera scene, and I just wanted to pass out from t from ten. I just want to be honest with you, like I was in them, like I just want to pass out, man. Yeah. Somebody knocked me out with this gas. Jeez, Louise, man. So, so with that being said, we get uh, we get out of the movie and we it was a good thing that we had like two weeks between watching this movie and shooting this episode because we were almost dead silent on the way home because we did not know what to make of what we just saw. I mean, we knew many things to make of it, but 
I had no idea how to art. Our, our minds were melted after seeing this movie. So that that we're ready now to talk about it. Hopefully, yes. Um, that brings us into talking during the movie. So what what do you have? Before we jump ahead, it's very important to note there are going to most likely be spoilers. So if you have not seen this movie yet, hello, David. Some of them don't know what a spoiler is. <laughs> okay. So if you haven't seen it yet completely understandable some of us don't feel comfortable going to the theaters yet um some of us it's some some of us it isn't even released in the markets that you live in yet so this episode will be here when you're ready to check it out after you see the film um but know that going ahead i mean I, could we even spoil anything because even if we tell you the ending you're still not going to know what's happening but my thing is are we even spoiling it haven't they already seen it ha isn't yeah, it happening now that's true so there we go so spoiler alert not there we go so on to the talking points david one of the things i first noticed about this film is that i didn't know anything about this film i, I was home one day and of course the trailer just came out so i usually like to go and do my research at whoever wants to insert sponsor right here i go do my research there and one of the things I found fascinating is that with the film this big and, and with this big budget or whatnot, how the, the, the G14 level of secrecy when it came to the script, not even just with the, the, the main actors there. Of course, uh, Michael Caine himself even said he didn't get his lines to almost a day before or the day of. And when mm -hmm. you think about it, all you filmmakers out there who just got across the T's, dot, dies, this has to be perfect. Michael Caine, the veteran iconic actor that he is, got his lines like literally a day before and, and again still delivered in the film but i think we can tell that he got his lines a day before if we're being honest we got to be honest with you guys but and even when you're talking about the secrecy of the film you're talking about being with two of the main actors being locked inside nolan's office even being seeing the script from john david washington to robert Pattinson. so with these guys with the acting chops that they have be having to really dig through that script i remember when you gave me the script for kill about two years ago i'm i'm, I'm i couldn't stop going through it but it's like you lock yourself in and so it's just that was amazing for me that that a big budget film like this that the actors really don't really know what's going on yeah and what what is happening like so inverting this is this is what tenet is all about so it's there it's christopher nolan's take on time travel um through inverting and i thought it was the most interesting way to to convey time travel or at least a, an inner a new take a, a great new take on time travel to to, to like as in they are you know when someone inverts they begin moving through time in reverse from mm -hmm. the moment that they enter the vortex it's it's time travel but it's in real time so they're still aging it's 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 mind it really is and when you think about it, it's really based on i know he i know for a fact that what he did was even though it is inverting he still sought out sought out the advice of of course credible scientists who in this field knew what were going on and one of the things that they applied to this was entropy which is of course uh basically the second degree of thermodynamics so they're using all of this stuff oh, so they're using all of these things to and, and to me now I can get into this more because it's not like you just made this up mm -hmm. like you really put time effort and thought into this and you're bringing in scientists who've done this their whole life to try to make this thing work I gotta it makes me pay attention even more so that's why I say I dug into that before I even saw the movie because I knew nothing about it yeah and the crazy thing that dawned on me when I was doing the deep dive is that the when somebody each time somebody inverts, they're essentially creating three different 
like parallel versions or three different a versions multiverse, of themselves, if you will. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'm not even sure if they still exist on the same timeline, just in different points on the same timeline. Because if you think about it, when a person inverts, one, you have the inverted version of themselves that's now going backwards through mm -hmm. time. You have the present version is right here that keeps going forward. So then, so you have them going like this, and then eventually the inverted person though gets to that vortex where they can begin going forward again. So they split again at that point, and you have the third one just going forward through time, just a little bit or so, however far behind the original present version. Not to mention the one that's now inverted. It's the crazy part about it is I, I understand exactly what you just said, which blows my mind because we've had time to digest it. I think for one of the first times, well, and I'm not saying it's the first time, but for one of the first times, what we've seen is to where it does not create multiple branches. In the film, they say, uh, of course, again, spoiler alert right here. They mention to you like, hey, listen, while he's going, he sends one team's back, he sends one team forward, but he still stays present. So mm -hmm. he has, it's like, basically, so there aren't different branches of the timeline. There's just at different points. So it's always, like, covering your mistakes and knowing what's going on. Like, the, the present sends the future ahead and sends the past back to cover the past. So no mistakes can be made. This can't happen. So to me, it's one of the first times to where I've seen where it is a, like you said, inverted time travel film. But I want to go deeper on that. Like, what I was doing my research on this, I start thinking I start thinking to myself okay like how many films have we seen that have really discussed time travel and what were the effects on them of course when you want to talk about of course back to the future and our most famous invention ever the flux capacitator how about time cop oh I love time cop I didn't even have that on the list not only that we have of course with the most recent Marvel's Avengers Endgame of course we had Hot tub, time machine. Had to throw it in there for all you hippies. Um, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. We're seeing all of these things happen. Not only Edge of Tomorrow, then you're talking about Inception. Now, of course, clearly, we don't have to tell you that's a Nolan film, but when you talk about Inception, he's one of the first directors to do this. Chris Christopher Nolan has now done two different time associated films where time theory is completely different in both of them. Like he is literally melting your mind with Inception and he comes back and melts your mind now with Tenet. Here's what really blew my mind. Now, this is what I'm doing while I'm doing the research on this. I'm looking and I'm saying, OK, here was the beautiful part about it. The tie in for this film was OK. We are, we, we, we've been talking about John David Washington. Mm hmm. So he's in Tenet, which is a movie based about time. Correct. Yeah. yeah. His father is obviously who? Denzel. You ever heard of, to me, you ever heard of this movie called Deja Vu? I think this is the first father and son combo who is awesome to both do time movies which are both dope and awesome. Mm -hmm. I got to say that, man. Did you yeah. know that? Uh, I did not. Well, I mean, I, I knew that Denzel did Deja Vu, but I, knew, I didn't make that correlation. That's pretty awesome. It is, man. All right. So let's talk about the ending, which is really the beginning, which is really just the whole thing on a loop. It, it's my, my, my theory, I call it the tragedy of Neil. Or Max. Dun, dun, dun. So Max is the boy that, uh, and I have not committed the characters in this film, but the the, the lead female um, that the protagonist is is pretty much protecting. Max is her son. Um, what if Max is Neil? What if Max grows up to be Neil? And I'll explain that. So. Um, at the end, Neil reveals to the protagonist that he recruited him in the protagonist's future, Neil's past. Um, Neil then goes to complete the final mission, taking the bullet for the protagonist, which we see in the beginning. Um, 
we then, which is that that's that's the that's the tragedy, Anil, is that he in this cycle, in this like uh, I think of it like Groundhog Day, except it's not a twenty four hour period. It's like a few lifetimes that are just stuck on this constant loop, and it doesn't matter what any of these players do; it doesn't change anything. And Neil's purpose in this loop is to sacrifice himself for uh, the protagonist, John David Washington, so he can go on to <laughs> create Tenet and recruit Neil and, and protect Max. It's almost like a Terminator situation where mm-hmm. somebody goes back in time or somebody sends somebody from the future to protect themselves as a child. Um, I feel like something like that's going on there. So, um, and, and at the end, we see the protagonist watching over Max and his mom, uh, which kind of, I feel like, why show that unless you're setting that up? And, and if you think uh, about it, like Maximilian, M-A-X-I-M-I-L-I-E-N, he could change that name to Neil, drop the last part, or drop the first part, and invert the last part, and that's how you end up getting Neil. Um, so that that's that's where my mind is going with the whole thing. That eventually, man, he really he, did a number on you, he, didn't he? He grows up. <laughs> Maximilian grows up. Change swat, changes his name to Neil. Eventually, inverts on a mission to begin working back through time to the point where he takes the bullet for the protagonist, saving his life, like a, a cycle that keeps repeating, and that. That is the, I mean, that's like the perfect, it's like a time travel tragedy. Okay. Now, I I jokingly say he really did a number on you because apparently he did a number on me too because as much as I want to dispute everything you said, what, what regardless of what, whatever I'm going to say out of my mouth, it cannot be credited or discredited either. So I'm just going to say bravo, young man. You, you made it to the end of a theory. And for me, what it was is that with this film, I feel like I was... I feel like I was a kid in a divorce. I feel like we didn't get to see mommy. We didn't get to see daddy. We got to, but I got to come to proceedings with mommy and daddy. What I mean is I don't feel like we truly were on purpose. I don't feel like the director wanted us to know truly what the beginning or the end was. It's like, Hey, I'm going to throw you in right here. Everything that you're seeing is the, is the cause and effect of what you don't see. So I'm not going to give you, Hey, listen, here's a, here's Z, but I'm going to damn sure give you B through Y. And by uh, go go figure, but I'm going to give you that it's up for because see now A and Z is up for what me and him are doing and what you all are going to be doing. There's going to be a million fan theories, this, that, and the other. And technically, until the director, sometimes the director doesn't even know what he's want. Art is interpreted differently, and that's the beautiful part of art. We all can look at a painting and see different things. So truly, I mean, none of us can truly be right or wrong. But for me, when I look at it, what I saw it as, and for at the end of it, was, was me, or for me, was this. Even though simply knowing the future doesn't mean it's the future. What I took from this was this is that John David Washington's character, while recruiting himself and doing all these things, he knew everything almost like a, a godlike con- con- complex. He knew what was going to happen because remember, with the tenant program, you can be in the present, send someone in the past, and send someone in the future. You can yeah. be omnipresent, almost like a god. Drop that in there, dropping knowledge. See how to slow them thing. I put that them things on it for you. That that omnipresence. But um, with that being said. So he knew, is it fair to say, can we both agree that he knew the outcome? Is it fair to say that? John David Washington's character. 
See, I'm yeah. not sure about that. I okay. Feel, I feel like Neil is the only one that, that knows, that has already been through the whole cycle from as far as you can go into the future mm -hmm. to as far as you can go into the past. Because he's one of, you know, he said, my story's ending, yours is just beginning. And he says, I'll meet you in the beginning. Yeah. And he does say that to him. Okay, so fair enough. I'll give you that. Neil, if you wonder who, he keeps saying, Neil, we're trying to get guys to associate that's Patterson's character. So when, when that happens there, what I the reason why I say at the end that I feel like it was a. It's one of those like you can still change fate because we know what happened at the end. John David Washington character shows back up, knowing every. Now you can at least admit this. At the end, he knew everything that happened, and when he meets with the Indian lady in the car, and I forgive me for not knowing her name, but when he meets with her, he still gave her a chance. Like at that very moment, she could have chose to do something that he could. She could have not killed the girl, and yeah. she had not done that. Thing. He, now the future does change because the person changed. So at the end, to me, it's a movie to where, as a as people, we can still change the future. That's the underlying tone I took from that. Even knowing that destruction is near, he still gave her a chance. He could have just mm -hmm. killed her and said, "No, nah, I'm gonna just kill her." He he watched her. He gave her up until that very moment. So she already knew because early in the film, he told her what was going to happen. Yeah. Yet she still says, "It's nothing I do." He's like, "Yes, you can." So at the middle of the film, he's telling her about the end. Like, you can do this. He's giving a pep talk. Like. I'm coming back to kill you in like three days. This is your chance. Yeah. What she do? Shut her nose, a spider face. Yeah. That's my theory. I, I, I am in no position to, <laughs> literally zero position to argue with that in any way. I, I, I can't even really hold up my own theory, let alone push against yours. I, I, that. Look what you did, Chris. Congratulations. Just like on the the uh, the call with Jeremy that we'll uh, we'll get to later. He he had a theory. There, so we had three different competing theories on one episode about this movie, and I I can't decipher Four. which Four. one. Four. John David Washington's too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well. <laughs> so the, we're, we're, the, the, the movie itself, like what you're saying, the the how the words of palindrome, how you can go forwards or backwards with it. The whole movie that and you know that came from like the Seder Square. The, they did that game with the five little, because the it, characters were named after them, correct? Well, I'll get to that in the big fights, um, as far as what, the, as far as how the Seder Square plays into the plays into many aspects of the movie. But the, but Tenet being the center point of the uh, Seder Square, um, I think it's interesting that, like, I feel like this movie is almost like a Pink Floyd album. You have to put it on the record player and play it in reverse in order to fully get the message that the creator is wanting to um, put out there. And I, I, I honestly believe if we played this movie backwards, or not, not actually backwards, but chronologically backwards, like see this scene, then this scene, then this scene, going in reverse... I feel like it would act at, at almost like a Seder square where it doesn't matter what direction you turn it, it's still going to play out the same way. Check this out. I came up with this last, when we were when I was doing my research, I came up with this. I said, if I had to describe this film to anyone, and I think you may agree with me on this. This may be our one time we agree with the whole thing. If I had to, if someone said, give me this film in one sentence, which is almost impossible, I would say, if a kaleidoscope and a Rubik's Cube had a baby, it would be called Tenet. Kaleidoscope and a Rubik. Yeah, yeah. And if I could, if I could sum it up in into like one word for people, for Christopher Nolan fans, uh, I would just say it is memento on heroin. That's for all my drug no, users. <laughs> I would say, I'd say it's it's me memento on Adderall. 
Oh, so now you're just focused. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> mental on heroin is just kind of like I'm going. Actually, it could be because you're going through time really slow. And it's like, at this very moment where we tell the kids of America, dare, don't you do drugs, kids. We're from the 80s. We didn't do them, and look how we turned out. Next. But the coolest thing about the movie, like, what I could take, because uh, with something like this, at first you just have to digest it on an abstract level. Like, what is it trying to say abstractly? You don't, you're, it's, you're going to break your brain trying to figure out what's literally taking place and i could only imagine what the storyboards must have looked like in the production room because christopher nolan actually did like we heard with jeremy they did shoot everything forward and backwards so every scene shot twice plots here and plots here later in the movie and then circling back to those plots somehow and doing them for shooting them again not just reversing stuff no green screens used like unbelievable so you take all that that's great but on like a, a a human emotion level what i really took away from it was how it challenges our ideas about fate predestination mm -hmm. free will like are we are we predetermined to do the things that we're going to do and you you touched on that with like they you think they can change things i am not so sure that's the only part about your theory that and i don't have a reasonable explanation to explain why but just the way things play out in tenant it felt like it just feels like they're on a predetermined loop and well no because i'm going to argue against my own argument now so i can at least hedge my bets here because part of me made me feel that way because they they a couple of times throughout the film they definitely mention it and they make it clear that's one of the things they make clear that Oh, we're not ch we're not changing anything. We're just pu pulling the bullet and putting it back into the gun. It's still going to fire no matter when. We're just pulling it out for right now to, to, hey, to do whatever they're doing. But they make that clear several, several times. It's just for me at the end, it was it's John David Washington's character, even, even knowing John David Washington's character, even knowing at that time, when he comes in at the end, and he, with, like again with that Indian lady, it's almost like even if she was on a predetermined, part of him still wanted her to change. So yeah, when you speak about that, I almost have to side with you and say that throughout the movie, they definitely drilled into our head that three things are predetermined, but we still can go back and I guess affect the past mm -hmm. and the present, but the present and the past determines the future, which cannot be changed. Is that fair? That's fair, and I think we could also agree on this uh, Seder, the the you know the villain in the movie so-called villain um who is he's got like the cancer and he's he's got the the life thing on him that's going to take the whole world out with him when he goes right worst suicide bomber in history oh definitely <laughs> horrible 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 talk about falling for the banana in the tailpipe good grief jeez louise all right, sir, are you ready for some big fights? I love big facts. And here we go. Royal went, uh, for all you out there betting last week, Royal went 50-50. Uh, Wasn't too bad here, but I'm pretty sure this is going to take a deep dive in the wrong direction. Go ahead, sir. Here we go. Number 25, Twilight World. So the code phrase, we live in a Twilight World, is used several times in the film. And it just so happens to be a comical coincidence that Robert Pattinson is best known for his role in the film. Twilight. Number 24, The Little Things. In the film, the colors are red and blue. They're used to differentiate between forward motion and inverted. Red moving forward, blue moving backwards. Whenever the focus is on the blue team, the score actually changes to include a motif which is played backwards. Just little subtle things. and uh, Things subtle little. 
Sticking to that red-blue theme, the Warner Brothers and Syncope images shaded red and blue in the opening logos. Five quick seconds to that. We both know that they never let like anybody messing with that logo. So to mm-hmm. me, hey, he got some, he has some pull over there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We'll get to his pull. This motherfucker has destroyed so many. Elements. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, number twenty-three. I love Christopher Nolan, but man, does he hate an IMAX camera. <laughs> Uh, 23 clever motherfucker. During the climactic battle scene, the red team and blue team both have 10 minutes to complete the final mission. So you have 10 forwards, 10 backwards, which equals 10 it. Crazy. How's the commercial go? Brilliant. (laughs) Isn't it? Number 22, and a lot of these are going to be uh, kind of uh, throwbacks to hip-hop references as the titles, and that will come... Two hops this time. Which Christopher Nolan in Tenet, this was the first time he used a hip-hop track in the credits Mm. of his film. Um, Growing, I see. Culturally. I like that, Christopher. Or C-Dog. Number 22. (laughs) Reverse! Reverse! There are no green screens used in Tenet, just practical effects. This includes the inversion sequences. When Christopher Nolan chose to shoot each scene twice, once moving forward, once with the actors doing everything backwards. And all right, man, it's hard. Number 21, repeat offender. Actor Jeremy Theobald, coming up later in the show, appears briefly as a steward in the kitchen scene with Michael Caine. Jeremy Theobald went to school with Nolan, where they made a few short films together. He also produced and played the lead in Nolan's first feature, Following, as well as a small role in Batman Begins. And Tenet, of course. Great job. Uh, Number 20, Bat Signal. On the first day of shooting Tenet, Robert Pattinson received the news that he'd been cast as Bruce Wayne in The Batman. An interesting coincidence, considering, you know, Christopher Nolan's fantastic... Batman Begins. And And The Dark Knight. Uh, Yes, yes, please keep going. The whole damn trilogy. Goodness, why so serious? (laughs) (laughs) Number 19, All About the Washingtons. Tenet is the most expensive film ever made to have a person of color as the solo lead. Well, guys, I was going to say that, so and let me... damn near one of the most expensive films ever, ever made, made, period. Yeah, yeah. and if guys, in case you didn't hear him, because that was on my paper, Tenet with a $205 million budget is the, one of the, most, is the most expensive film to have an African-American as the solo lead. Not as a group, not as a cast, as a solo lead. Shout out to John David Big Money Baller Washington. And a uh, another check in tenants just doing first things uh pandemic cinema number 18 tenant is the first major studio film to be released during the covid19 pandemic yeah and i'm just letting you know i was set up for this next fact he think i can't read the good thing i know how to foreshadow so yes this did happen but go ahead read it read it when i was in the film i asked him we were in a particular scene and the scene was just so clear and pristine and i was just like oh my gosh and i did lean over and ask him and i whispered it okay my man car got put i whispered like hey you 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 think that's green screen? Almost as if Christopher Nolan was sitting next to me and you replied with? Number 17, it must be fake. So I'm talking, yeah, we are talking about that scene where John David Washington's protagonist character meets with Cat on the terrace atop the cliff. It is, in fact, real. And when we were sitting there, I said, I said, this, knowing Christopher Nolan, Nolan, it must be real. But it looks so good. That it, it fake. It, yes, yeah, it looked beyond it's real. It's like that scene from A Few Good Men when they're driving around Guantanamo Bay, and I'm like, that's a painting in the background. But yeah. it wasn't. This was real. IMAX, shout out. Shot uh, in, in Italy somewhere. 
Um, number 16, Lame Editing. This was Christopher Nolan's first time working with editor Jennifer Lame, best known for her work on Hereditary. Wasn't it, wasn't this, uh, wasn't it the guy he normally worked with working on Dune? Um, no, that, that was the composer, oh. uh, Lee Smith, the years, the editor he usually works with was working on 1917, 1917. Thank you. Great. Good pull. Good pull. So, um, what real quick while we're right here, because hereditary has just come up. Do you want to no, speak on your experience with hereditary? Uh, all I know is there's another movie that came out after that, that you told me about that you like. And, um, I'm just going to stop there. My mom told me if you don't have anything good to say about anything, don't say anything about it. Uh, that's going to be on the season two. Then I'm oh, just I'll making see notes. Of I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> Number 15 is timeless. While much of the imagery in the film has been brewing in Christopher Nolan's brain for at least 20 years prior to making the movie, he worked on the specifics of the screenplay for about six years, a story that quite appropriately spans through time. I love it. I know what it's like to have an idea in your head. Shout out Bill the Collector. See you soon. Number 14, Road Trip. About 1.6 million feet of IMAX footage was shot for the film. This broke Christopher Nolan's own record, which was already in the number one spot. 1.6 million feet. That's 303 miles of film. That's enough film to stretch from New York right past the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, through Baltimore, over Capitol Hill, across the Potomac River, and past the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., strolling down 395 on the 95 South into Virginia, where it would finally f***ing stop five hours away in the unincorporated community of Ruth or Glen. What the f***? So what you're saying is that it's long. It is. It is so much film. One point six million feet. That's a lot crazy. Of feet. Pizza, pizza. Number thirteen, camera casualties. So this is what I was talking about later. Do you even need to read Earlier. this? You've been telling me about Later. this for years. Do you even need to read this? Speak from the heart, man. Speak from the heart. Stop. No, uh, I do need to read this because <laughs> I have I have the numbers in here, and I'm gonna put things up on the screen to show like rest in peace to these poor cameras. Look, all right, let me look at them. Christopher Nolan trusted Rod and the, the, all right. So I already <laughs> told you about about dark about the Dark Knight issues. I didn't even know that he that he put more cameras at risk in this one. Christopher Nolan trusted Robert Pattinson with way more than just the role he was tasked with bringing to life. Robert Pattinson was also responsible for the life or death of one of the most expensive cameras in the world. Pattinson revealed that he did much of his own stunt driving for the film, including one particular sequence where he and John David Washington were in a BMW with an IMAX camera rigged to the hood. He could scarcely see anything through the windshield and a slight turn left or right would result in the rig hitting the road. So that's that's on his last film. He lucked out, and actually, thank you to to Robert Pattinson for not destroying Hell of a driver. the camera. Hell of a driver. Sorry, Christopher Nolan, not this time. Nolan is notorious for destroying the five hundred thousand dollar IMAX. That's a half a million dollar IMAX cameras. Same so five hundred thousand dollars is half of a million. Just want to be clear. Yes. Okay. Fi yeah. Is it right? Yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. He sent one to camera heaven during the Dark Knight. In The Dark Knight Rises, another one bit the dust. In, 2007, <laughs> in 2017's Dunkirk, he put one in a plane and then crashed it into the f***ing ocean. He assumed it would float long enough to allow them the chance to recover it. It sank instantly. <laughs> Luckily, divers were zero. able to recover the it. The dead. Shockingly, it survived. Anything for the shot, I suppose. Well, I just want to say real quick that when the Dunkirk, if he would have just hired John David Washington's father, who was in flight, that the plane wouldn't have sunk. <laughs> I don't know, would it? You saw what happened. He flew a plane inverted, 
Don't slow that down to make me look bad. <laughs> so slow it down. Okay. <laughs> Number 12, two tickets, please. The working title for Tenant was Merry-Go-Round. Now, I actually did know that. When you think about it, there normally when, when people do the uh, fake titles, it's to completely throw you off. But when you're really thinking about it, Round and round we go. Hey, round and round we go. That's what's actually happening in the film. Round and round. So that's pretty so, smart. Hey, the straight to DVD B movies out there, they're going to be knocking off Tenet, you know, like Tornado to Twister or Jurassic Dinosaurs to Jurassic Park. Merry go round. Do your time travel. To try to. Or for my serial fans out there, Frosty Flakes to Frosted Flakes. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Uh, number 11, physicists approved. While the film isn't going for precise scientific accuracy, it is roughly based on actual science. Christopher Nolan asked physicist Kip Thorne, who worked with him on Interstellar, to read the script and assist with the concepts. Fun fact, I actually worked with Kip. Actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that sounded good. Did there. <laughs> Scared for us. You're you for the listen. You're uh, for the uh, okay. <laughs> we got seven minutes left. Let's see. Let's get Kip on the phone. Number 10, fast and reversing <laughs> That was the best I could come up with at 4 o'clock in the morning. That sounds like Fast and Furious. Okay. Fast and reversing The fantastic, exhilarating car chase sequence was pulled off with absolutely no visual effects at all. It's true. 20 of Los Angeles' top drivers were assembled and later joined by experienced stunt drivers from around the world to achieve the insane reverse action that was captured. One of the members of that team was, you said, you actually bring up in our interview, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Wilkie, who famously flipped the Joker truck in the dark night. I'm not going to lie. They're at the top of their... When you talk about top of their game, those guys were at the top of their game. Yeah. Number nine, money ain't a thing. This is Christopher Nolan's most expensive original film and one of the most expensive original films in the history of films upon its release with a production budget of $205 million. One of the things I don't think you guys heard with that real quick before he moves on is that, again, this came from... There was no source material for this film. Normally, budgets of $200 million from $100 million, hell, $50 million aren't given for something that doesn't have a comic book or a book or a screenplay or a playwright, some diary someone found there's no source material for this they were like ah oh, you see nolan and as we found out his first budget was what uh six thousand and now 205 million kids can't we all dare to dream <laughs> yeah number eight breath of life composer ludwig ludwig gorenson incorporated christopher nolan's breathing as part of the score used around the antagonist in the film the sound was achieved with nolan breathing heavily into a microphone and gorenson manipulating it into uncomfortable sounds and nolan isn't the only visionary director to literally breathe their breath of life into their films stanley kubrick dubbed his breathing for 2001 a space odyssey real quick if you don't mind uh fun fact here real quick with ludwig um I wanted to uh, kind of speak to that for about 30 seconds, if I could. Uh, one of the beautiful things about this, one of the first films that me and you did Mother. was Black, Black, Black Panther. And with Ludwig, of course, he composed that because he also worked with Michael B. Jordan on Fruitvale. So when you really talk about a tie-in to an episode, I just really love that we can really, it's just, it's almost like it's meant to be. It's like we couldn't fate tenant. It's just, yeah, right. synergy is like boiling up inside of me. Right, you know what I'm saying? It just made my blood boil like, yeah. <laughs> oh, Terry back. All right, cancel Terry hashtag <laughs> number seven hitch slapped Robert Pattinson stated that he drew inspiration from Christopher Hitchens 
for his character's accent, intonation, and mannerisms. Pattinson never uses his real London accent when playing British characters. He said he feels fake when he uses his own accent for a role. Just um, If he just plays himself on screen, he feels like a fraud. I can see where he's coming from. Number six, practically real. You will be very surprised to find out that this visually stunning, reality-bending film only contains 280 visual effects shots. This is less than most romantic comedies. This is also a low number in comparison to other Christopher Nolan projects, with The Dark Knight featuring 650 VFX shots, The Dark Knight Rises with 450, Inception had about 500, and Dunkirk had a surprisingly low 429. Real quick about uh, Dunkirk, real quick before you go, if I'm not mistaken here, that also had... Um... <clears throat> Okay, he's going to fact check me on this since I interrupted. The honorable mention that um, with Dunkirk, uh, Michael Caine voice was used in that film as well. Because he always the, works with Nolan. The voice, yeah. The voice, voice only. Boom. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Number five, puzzling. The word tenant originated from the Seder Square, a puzzle that dates back to the ruins of Pompeii. It's a five by five square containing five five letter words Seder, Aleppo, tenant, opera, and rotus. No matter what direction you rotate the square, these five words appear horizontally and vertically. Tenet being the only palindrome able to be read in reverse from any direction. All five words actually appear in the film. The film's antagonist is named Andre Sater. The forger responsible for the painting and Kat's former lover is named Lawrence Arepo. The security company in the film is called Rotus. And of course, the organization that the protagonist is recruited into is called Tenet. Awesome. All he actually right. recruited himself, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, really? A real 747 was purchased, crashed into a real hangar, and really exploded in the iconic scene from the film. Christopher Nolan originally planned to use miniatures, but it actually turned out to be less expensive to buy a real f***ing plane. Number three, working in reverse. Not only did the lead actors have to perform stunts backwards, they actually had to learn how to speak in reverse for their roles. <laughs> Number two, top secret. And you brought this up earlier. There, oh, was, there was so much know. secrecy surrounding <laughs> Tenet. Robert Pattinson was only allowed to read the script in a locked room at Warner Brothers Studio. Michael Caine wasn't even allowed to read the script. He was only given his scenes to read before shooting. No, no, keep reading, David, please. Oh yes, the are you talking about that? Yes. Okay. This is this was my this was my yeah number one new composer. This was Christopher Nolan's first time working with composer Ludwig Göransson. His go-to Hans Zimmer, his go-to Hans Zimmer was busy working on Dune, a longtime passion project of his, and this actually draws a nice clean connection back to the film in our previous episode, Black Panther. Ludwig Göransson was the composer for Black Panther. Black Panther, which he won an Oscar for. Um, Zimmer is actually friends with Cornson and suggested him to Nolan, which is how they ended up working together. And um, yeah, and they actually had to shoot the, uh, the uh, Gorenson because of the before because, he shot it before, so they can match it up as they were filming. But and during the uh, because of the pandemic, um, to finish it, they actually had people doing the uh, recordings from their homes and mm -hmm. he was putting them together. The musicians. The yeah. yeah, he definitely did that. And actually, I know that, the, that once they did the recording, they actually practiced, of course, the, nobody wants to hear this, but maybe you do, social distancing. They had to take the recording rooms down from 11 people down to six. So that's, that's a big adjustments, man. But hey, he did it. Any, anytime you can uh, make Wakanda sound good in the world of Tenet, hey, you got my vote. 
That concludes Big Fights. All right, all my popcorn fanatics out there, it's time for your favorite segment, Seven Minutes In. That's right here. And this segment is brought to you by Pitzler Pictures and I Am Media. You need something done? He'll do it because I want anymore. However, you need some big voiceover guy? That's me. You need some guy to edit the hell out of your That's him. So, guys, hey, this is what we do. And again, now we're back. So, this week we're talking about Seven Minutes in Heaven. That's our version of, hey, that's the top three scenes for each one of us. So, we usually boomerang this thing, go back and forth, or we kind of merry-go-round it. See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. Ah, he's going to do some little, he's going to put some funk on that. So, with that being said, to me, my first one was, of course, the opera scene. I mentioned it to you, um, like, the first 60 to 90 seconds of the film, it starts with a slow crawl back. They're coming out. Like, it, it gave me a dark night feel. They're coming through the back of the kitchen, like, when the Joker came in, when they were having the big boss meeting in the mm. dark night. And, like, I love a film. That, this is ironic, because I'm, I'm being ironic here, because what I'm going to say later. But I love a film that doesn't just give it to me right away. Like, yeah, throw me into it. Like, me and you, like, you, you, you bet not get up. You bet not blink. So with that opera scene, to me, the hardest thing to do is to control the crowd. And when you saw these panning shots, yeah, there were some cuts here and there, but it didn't make me feel like it was a Michael Bay film and it's a cut every point three seconds yeah. or somebody's whisking the camera around. You saw perfectly planned shots. If one thing we've talked about from our research to the people we've interviewed is that Christopher Nolan is very planned and precise. He thinks about things two decades, two decades in advance and then, of course, according to him, over six years, fleshes these ideas out. So that opening opera scene, Knowing that they what they how they reconstructed that opera, you have one. You have to have so many people. It doesn't take one director to do this. You're you're working with multiple directors while action is happening. People passing out, making sure no one looks at the camera. I'm mm -hmm. looking for mistakes, and I am so drawn in from the beginning that I have to be there. Yeah. And if you can do that to me right then and there, you've gotten me. So to me, it's hard for a top three scene to be an opening scene for me. But that opening scene does it for me, man, and it, it draws me in. Um. That's a good one. Uh, I like shortly after that scene, after he takes the um, after he takes the suicide pill as the test, and he wakes up. That that scene when uh, the girls explain an inversion to him. Um, I just I just that that was so interesting the way they broke that down, and you know she showed him how the bullet goes in reverse, and and he couldn't take that one because it didn't come from him, and he had the just it was. It was really cool. Like it didn't get too pseudoscience-y. It that that you're like, eh. It was it was just enough of ex of like exposition um, to to keep it engaging, to keep the to keep the pacing going. And again, it like what I said in the uh, earlier. It, it brought up that that whole conversation about cause and effect and uh, fate and free will. Um, that, that that I thought that scene was like beautifully poetic if they were going to give you any sort of uh pseudo seco or like training wheels that was the only time you got any explanation about what was getting ready to happen but sometimes as they say ignorance is bliss i wish mm -hmm. i wouldn't have known that because then i could have in my mind i would have been like oh i know what's going on but yeah that was definitely one of them for me um listen spoiler alert again but uh right now when when i saw just knowing what happens in the film or what i perceive happens the hallway scene to where John David Washington is fighting what he does not know him is himself. One of them are is fighting 
in it's like the red blue concept one of them is fighting in real time but the other one is fighting in reverse and you're at first when we first see it it looks like some voodoo scene you see him moving like he's possessed like yeah. all these possessed i'm like first off great callback to the 70s and 80s when when you actually had to really make effects it was just not like sitting down at the computer and throw it there like no like who they took time into this i'm like goodness did true blood meet the matrix or something like it was happening like that and then to find out what we found out at the end like you see them going go ahead you might want to speak to that no just speaking of callbacks to the 80s like all the actors having that when they're in reverse they're not being reversed digitally they are actually reverse performing and like thinking of 70s and 80s films i think of bruce campbell in evil dead evil dead 2 army of darkness he was like the master of like sam Raimi would shoot most stuff where he would he would he would actually perform in reverse so Sam Raimi could digitally reverse it in the uh, in post so it looked like he was going forward just really unnaturally um, or flying across the room is the only way he could do it was was do it in, in reverse and then and then reverse it in post and have him go forward um, but I thought that yeah the, and the choreography to to choreograph somebody it's like a whole new way of fighting when right. somebody is fighting inverted and the other one's fighting forward but they're still interacting with each other somehow but what's the third level plane of that that both of them somewhat know what's going on yeah it's, it's, it's like yeah, they're like oh, let me get past let me get past it's, like, like, it's, it's crazy one's thinking about one's what i can know what you're doing but i didn't know you were going to do it in reverse yeah now i'm confused again so it's not a fair fight again it's, it's crazy man but yeah go that was, that was my second one my second scene is actually the like so you've got you like the hallway scene in there i would i've got i chose the whole umbrella over that whole thing that whole airport scene when they're holding their breasts as they're trying to um they're trying to hack the security locks to mm -hmm. each room it felt like a nerve-wracking video game in in like seeing it like cinematically um the choreography of the fight like i said going forward in reverse all the way to the punchline at the end of the airport scene where after all that craziness they're trying to get through the locks holding their breath when the air is sucked out of the room fighting each other forward in reverse finally get into that one room where right before they open the door they both just fall down perfectly in sync which was it, it, it that was like there were so many moments like that where it shows they they, they showed you that even though in in the in the um, in the timeline that we're seeing things play out as uh, the protagonist had just met Neil. This is one of their first times working together. But you know that's not the case when you see the, 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 the way they're so in sync, how they fall down like that. And also when, she goes, when they go and meet the, um, the, the Indian actress, which again, I, I failed to get her name too, but it's, her, it's actually her first movie in the, filmed in the United States, or first United States film role. Um, but when he goes and meets her, that same thing, which was a hilarious moment when, when it was time for them to escape, as soon as he realized it was time to escape and the escape route was going to be jumping over the balcony, within a split second, you already see Robert Pattinson falling from a roof above. Like, it was like, it was humorous, but at the same time, it sold that, like, these people have worked together for a lot longer than we've seen in this linear timeline that we're watching. Furthermore, before you get off of that, I would definitely have to agree with you because in my research of everything that happened, um, Christopher Nolan, of course, being a fan of Bond films, that's no secret. People know that. But one thing that he did and said was he didn't let normally he'll let people watch films that influence him. He didn't want anybody to watch these films. And I can see why, because 
it gave it its own unique genre of a bond desk type style because like you mentioned i've i've seen a billion bond films mm -hmm. i've never seen him right before somebody walks in. No, i've seen him come up pull out gadgets they were in sync laying down getting up doing what they had yeah. having to have that lingo and like it was a like a, a newer version of swag a millennial version of swag like they had done it so many times to them it was just a performance that's what mm -hmm. made it beautiful it wasn't like they didn't know what was going on everything like was a performance so i, I agree with you on that now for me uh, he with the Bond films. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because he was. Yeah, he he said he wanted to he wanted to capture the memory, the feeling, rather than an actual like, like mocking it yeah. or mimicking it. Yeah. And I I am the same exact way. Like when I did Never Go Back, I did not. Like, it was a movie about escaping into nature. Um, I stayed away from watching Into the Wild. I, I didn't watch Wild with Reese Witherspoon when it came out around that same time because I didn't. It's that, it, it, like, every, um, I'm going to kill someone this Friday. When we did that, I, I stayed away from all psychological thrillers because the, it is that you want to, you don't, you don't want to accidentally or, like, subconsciously put something in, in your film because it's fresh on your brain and, it, and your brain remembers it as, like, an idea that you came up with. Mm -hmm. It's so much nicer to just, you know where, where these films are coming from that you're making to just create that energy and and off the memory of it. I mean, I have to agree because who did those directors before them watch? Like, I mean, at some point yeah. you gotta you can be inspired by someone, but you just don't want to emulate uh, like imitate them. My uh my third one it was it was very very tough very very tough is that I have to go with. I have to, at the end of the day, I have to go with, I have to take it back to the airport scene. The fact that he brought, you brought it up earlier, the, the, the 747, first and foremost, it was never, they were never, this was never planned to be an actual 747. I think this may have been one of the only CGI, or they, I'm sorry, they're going to go with a miniature model mm -hmm. a way to do this, but blindly enough, they were searching for location scouting and they came across this, this empty, this airport with abandoned and broken down planes, if you will. And so the fact that, his head, one of his head stuntmen had to require, uh, had to acquire a license to be able to not even drive the plane, but just the tow, the towy, whatever thingy he's finna show on the screen now. Ding, made me look educated. The fact that he had to drive this machine, this automobile, to be able to pull this, this, this 747. So that's one aspect of it. Then the fact that now you have to have people choreographed to be running around this and the fact that you actually crashed it. To me, that is, that's like, you want to know when you were a kid, when you were doing this with airplanes and yeah. stuff, like, no, like when you're doing all this stuff, like, like that's the biggest thing ever. That is the greatest thing ever to become mm -hmm. a grown ass kid man and be able to say, I want that plane, mom, mom being studio. I want to crash it into that building, building being dad. Can I do it? We just want to have room. We're, we're going to have so much space, for so much more activities. When I crashed this plane through this building, and they actually did it, man. And so yeah. to, for me, that's like, man, listen, you had filmmakers around the world with their dicks on hard. Like, I wish someone could let me do that. And in, and in, and in fairness, it wasn't even satire. It looked, it went with the script. It didn't mm -hmm. feel forced. It wasn't so, oh, we just got to do this because we got it. And so for me, that was my third one, man. I mean, kudos all to the crew. To, to more so to the crew. Than, the director had the balls to do it, but, but actually trained professionals had to get there and do this. Yeah. So to me, that I, I got to give it to that, man. Uh, my third one is when the protagonist, uh, John David Washington, meets Seder. Um, that... 
that was a great moment of a the hero of the film meeting the villain of the film. The intensity was there, the tension, but the all with interwoven within it was just the witty dialogue. It was a perfect balance to introduce this rivalry that is apparently just going to keep going. Um, and it had one of the best lines in the whole movie when Sater says, have you slept with my wife? Not yet. And then he says, how do you want to die? And uh, the protagonist says, old. And, uh, and then you know, Sayer's like, you, you chose the wrong profession. That, like, the, the whole, that, that is work. funny in itself. Like, you could just say those lines to somebody, like, those are good punchlines in a dialogue scene. But then when you add it to the context of the whole film and who, who the protagonist is and what his role is, it's even, it goes from being just, that's clever to... That's like almost f***ing genius. I mean, yeah. I, I can't I can't disagree with you. I mean, we were sitting there and, and to me, that's one of the things where we really talk about. Um, and I just I, I want to stop right there. I don't want to go in right there. So I'm going to let you yeah, end it right there because that, that was good. I don't because okay. it's going to lead into something else we're going to say. Sounds good. So yeah. let's move on to scene stealers. And this week brought to you from the film Tenet. We had an, a lot of amazing performances in here. And for me, if I can just say on my end, um, I know we haven't come to a show where we had the, the same person. So I, I hope that this is the same here. But um, even if we do have the same person, I don't think we're going to have it for the same reason. So for me, I'm going to go with Mr. John David Washington. The reason why I am going with John David Washington, and it, it was so hard for me to do this. And I'm going to tell you why, because he goes by the character, a character by the character of a name, Ricky Jared in the show Ballers. Mm -hmm. And on the very first episode of the show Ballers, um, he drops a line that says, why, why would I go to Jacksonville? That's where careers go to die. And if anybody knows, I'm like a Jaguar fan. And so that's why you have to understand that even I can set my differences apart here. And say that he still was the uh, for me he was the best artist of this film, and I'll explain why. Explain why first and foremost. Let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Denzel Washington is your f***ing father, and to me, from what I've seen, you you're right up there with King Griffey Jr. Right up there with like all the people who've had to like Angela Jolie having to live up to John. What like just all the the children that have had to live up to. Their parents not just being superheroes, but like larger than life figures and not, not just it's like, OK, you grow up in your dad's like a, you're on TV. It's like, oh, yeah, great. But no, your your dad's that mother. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like Jesus. Yeah. He's, yeah. Having to, he's having to live up. No, to God. he's not like Jesus. He is Jesus Shuttlesworth. We went over this. <laughs> Come on. I'm going to get him there, guys. Don't worry. By the end of the season, he's going to know who Jesus Shuttlesworth is. But seriously, um, I have to give it to him because living under that pressure. And knowing that you have to go out there every time. And it's not like I, I have to say it's not it's not like he has the longest IMDB in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, he has some credits here and there. So you can't say his dad has been lofting him softball. So I, that's one thing. But, but that's just not enough. Let's talk about the film. Let's talk about the range of this young man from I didn't see when I watched him. I didn't see Denzel one time. Mm -hmm. Did I feel swag? Yes. Did I feel confidence? Yes. Did I feel somebody that could articulate themselves? Yes. Did I see somebody that knew at every given moment they were comfortable in every given situation? That you know what? Matter of fact, I want to go back and change one of my best scenes when that mother leaves from the meeting with old girl and walks back through that restaurant and beats calmly beats their ass. That's the first time I've seen somebody calmly beat somebody's ass. I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. <laughs> and. 
Yeah, and, and drop some chicken little George shit before he went in there like, hey, do you do right by me? <laughs> so he, so put my point is this. The range, man. Like, he was just, no no moment was too big for him. You felt like he could f*** you or deliver a baby at any given moment. And to me, that was one of the biggest things. And so, one of the last things I want to say is that we talked about this earlier. I'm pretty sure he didn't know it at the time, but you're such an inspiration, unlike Terry Gilliam would want people to be inspiration to kids out there. So, um, he was such an inspiration to find out, like, this is the biggest budgeted film to have an African-American as a solo lead. It's just like, not to say, oh, yeah, we can finally do it. It's like, man, like, and you killed it? Like, you mm -hmm. killed it, killed it. So, for me, man, I got to give it to you, man. Shout out, brother. Nothing but respect to you, man. I'll see you soon, co-worker. I agree with everything that you just said. And I'm glad that you said it so I can still, I, 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 I pick somebody else. But I'm glad that that got out there because I agree with it. I wanted to say that. But I, I, at the end of the day, everyone in this movie was pretty much great with the exception of Michael Caine because he wasn't bad. He was just Michael Caine. Call me Michael. Like, I'm sorry. I'll, it, I'll, I'll it, felt, it felt effort. And when I found out later in doing the fact checking that, or, you know, the deep dive that he didn't get his lines, his lines like to, like, walking right into the before. studio. <laughs> but you can kind of see that. You can kind of see where he doesn't, he, his performance reflects that he doesn't know where the context of his, where, where he fits into the context of everything in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and something about Michael Caine, it just felt effortless, but not in a good way, like a complacent kind of effortlessness. But mm -hmm. um, John David Washington, like everything you said, I totally agree with. He is a, like, he is a quiet powerhouse. He, uh, in a lot of ways, he reminds me of uh, Chadwick Boseman mm -hmm. in the way that he can, he can, like, uh, portray so much power so subtly mm -hmm. and it still comes off and that's something that i don't even think john david washington's father can do i you might do you oh no no i'm not disagreeing okay that's what makes it beautiful i, mean, I don't see either one of them being the same it's like apple and orange like no yeah. you're just great you would have been great regardless yeah and i, I feel that yeah um uh kenneth bernard uh, i hope i'm getting his name right he was a fantastic as satyr the emotion that he brought to that villain again like our black panther episode i think that uh he he did he gave the villain like a real humanity even with this like this is a clear-cut dry villain this guy is terrible he wants to destroy the whole world with him so he is absolutely terrible but um the kenneth the actor brought a real sense of humanity to those emotions that the guy was going through i 100 percent agree can i give you a fun fact for you name the next person yes fun fact about him you ever heard of this movie called uh, much to do about nothing uh-huh. I heard about it. I have not seen it. Guess who he directed? Denzel oh, Washington. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He also directed... He also oh, I'm doing my little thing. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad you, I'm glad you stopped me. I wasn't sure about what I was about to say. Yeah, he was great. My But my number one pick goes to Robert Pattinson. Um, Neil. His performance felt effortless. In the not in the Michael Caine way, but in the good natural way, where he just he just he's like he he lights up the screen with like a cool dry charisma. Every time he comes onto the screen, it's just cool. Mm -hmm. And for and like you said about child actors in the last episode or actors in general who get kind of pigeonholed into one particular Urkel. character, yeah. Um, 
he has gracefully, so gracefully broke out of that. And he did it by, yeah, he didn't just jump from Edward to a $205 million movie. He did a lot of independent films with that allowed him to explore different characters. And one of those independent films, I think it was called Good Times, Christopher Nolan saw, and that's what made him want to, you know, that's what made him consider him for the role in Tenet. Hmm. Um, so... Yeah, Robert, I and what John David Washington had going against him for me in this is that I didn't have, I had less to compare him against, mm. as, like other things that he's been in. What put Robert Pattinson over the mark for me over John David Washington was that I was comparing him to uh, who I've seen in Twilight, and and that just blows me away, how he went from that to what we see today and things like The Lighthouse and... Um, and and it actually makes me kind of excited for the Batman. Definitely, I, I can I can agree with you as far as the reasons why you chose as well. Again, while we do have two totally different choices, I think neither one of us are wrong in this because again, it, they both they both like I say held their own in this. And like I say, anytime they were sharing screen together, I never felt like there was anyone leading anyone. It was mm -hmm. you be great at what you at, and we'll do this dance, and I'll be great at what I'm at. So at the end of this season, like like we've mentioned, um, we'll be doing 13 episodes this season, 13 films, and each episode we'll be picking one actor at the end of this segment. Um, at the end of the season, we'll take all 13 of those actors, put them up on the board, and remove them, remove them, remove them until only one remains the best actor of season one award. Um, so who did we have who won refresh their memories for the Black Panther episode who it was your pick who won the young lady that played the character Okoye that was my first pick and yours uh my pick was uh Michael B Jordan and of course yours won so oh. this time around we have uh John David Washington and uh Robert Pattinson head to head who is going on the board to go against Sequoia at the end of the season? I th Should we leave? The, can can because yes. can, can we agree that they are both equally great in this film and complement each other? With that, and and in the spirit of Tenet, could we leave this up to a coin flip? We can because the coin is going to decide. So hold on, hold on. And I'm just going to let it land on the table. You have a coin or a, a power to carry and being shield. What is that? It's a, it's a dime, a ten. Oh, oh, there we go. Oh, I see what you did there. All right. So who's the head though? Um, who's the tail? Well, front and back. It, it, yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, head John David Washington tail. Um, okay. Robert Pattinson. There we go. All right. Here we go. Congratulations, Mr. Twilight. Batman, Robert Pattinson, you're on the board. All right, that was easy. That was a lot better than what we got into. In <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to get into a kill Check it out right here. And you want to? I was gonna say. Also, make sure we can check out all our stuff. But if you're gonna check out our stuff, we'll tell you about it, so you don't have to look for it. All you got to do is hit subscribe and hit the little bell too, so you get the notifications when we post episodes. And I have to apologize. We put we post an episode every Thursday. We post highlights every Tuesday. And I, I forgot about the fact that if you hit the bell, you get notified every time we post a video. Well, this Tuesday we posted 30 videos um, for the Black Panther highlights. I will not do that in the future. I will post the highlights 
in a way where they all they all get dropped at the same exact time so you only get one notification on Tuesday. He didn't want to tell you guys we Thursday. went down one subscriber because he was all in there ish. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I'm putting that out there. You don't even have to say anything and I hear you and it will be uh corrected, adjusted, we will uh move forward amicably. Oh wow. A little forty forty year old version <laughs> drop right there. Or should I say a little sunny fit? Yeah. Go down the rabbit hole. Um, that concludes Scene Stealers, and what do we have next? Coming up next, Dirt and my co-host of TTFT, which you can find on Thursdays and highlights on Tuesdays with one not 35 notifications. Coming up next, we now have... You're gonna need a bigger boat. And if you don't know, that's a Jaws reference, and if really if you didn't know, you shouldn't be on this channel. I'm lying. Please, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. <laughs> David, what do you have first? Um, so I only have one line, because... Uh, That's what the cokehead said. I just thought it was brilliant and poetic, and, it, and I like lines in films that can also work as a proverb in for life. Um, this is this was delivered by the protagonist. He says, uh, "Even the dead need allies," and again, just like just like so many lines in Tenet, this works as a standalone proverb. But when you apply it to the context of the of the whole story and tenet, it is it becomes so much it becomes very powerful, um, because I, I can't even articulate it because because my mind is still partially melted from this film, especially rehashing it all now. But just trust me, because <laughs> all right for me, um, I have first off an honorable mention. My honorable mention is when Michael Caine says, uh, "Since you just." <laughs> put him down into the mud honorable mention was michael kane saying uh i can recommend a tailor and the only reason why i say that's an honorable mention is because uh michael kane of course played the head of the uh and the kingsman he played the head he played the head of the uh kingsman service and of course they went to the tailor shop to always get their suits and everything suits and boots so to me that was a little fan service but i did like that but if i if i had to go with it one it was it was i have to it's the callback uh have you have you had sex with my wife not yet. Yeah. Like, to me, it's just kind of like, listen, I'm f***ing her. I'm going to do it. We both know it. So what the f*** are we talking about? And again, and, and, it, in a sense, he's already f***ed her. Right. And in a sense, the and, and he knew that, the, like, the villain yeah. knew that yeah. it happened. So they're boasting, like, it's almost like saying in layman's yeah, terms, like, 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 ask me, ask me, have you f***ed her? Say, 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 say the line. Have you f***ed her? You know I have. And you know which ways I have. You know how I'm going to do it, when I'm going to do it, where I came at, where I'm going. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. See what I did, where I came at, where I'm going. Come on. You'll get that. It's like a it's like a beautiful game of verbal chess. It's, it's right. They're just playing out. They plan just to play because we already know who's checkmate going to be. So mm -hmm. to me, that was my line. And of course, the only other one I did have was that not everyone passes this test because to me, that now you're transcending the film. It's like we all are given tests, and it's not meant for all of us to pass the same test. So when you sit, it's what do you do when you pass this? What do you do with that knowledge? And what is your purpose? And what are you here for? So to me, those were some of the best lines in the film. Right on. That's uh. That's I need a bigger boat. Yeah. Let's move on to, and we have, like we said, two guests. And this is cast two crew guests. for you. Um, this is where we involve someone from the cast, someone from the crew, or a fan of the film. And today for Tenet, 
Um, we were lucky enough to have uh, two guests come on. Two guests. Two guests. And we had somebody from the Red Squad, a la, because they have the red and the blue, thus me and you or him. And also we have Mr. Jeremy Theobald, who actually starred in uh, director Christopher Nolan's first film. And he is in a scene where he plays with Michael. He basically is acting with Michael Caine, and he is the waiter, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. so up first, we have John Ornthez. All right, our guest, a rising star from the film with an impressive IMDb before and after his role in Tenet. Um, this guy is grinding. Let me take a quick breath so I can get these out. <laughs> All right, he has been in Hawaii Five-O series SWAT, New Amsterdam, 13 Reasons Why, Bowlers, Murder in the First, HBO's Looking, and more films than we could mention without this intro feeling awkwardly long. So without further introduction, welcome, John Orantes. How are you doing today, John? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you guys. I know we appreciate you. We're surprised you had time in between the IMDb. It looks like your IMDb is actually updating as we speak. They said updates like every other day. So we're definitely thrilled to have you on here. But man, uh, we, we did some digging on you. So first and foremost, um, I'm an actor myself. We're filmmakers and everything. So definitely awesome, we, awesome. we appreciate you doing what you do. And that's why we want to have you on. We, we make it a goal to have really passionate people who care about their craft on the show. So we appreciate you joining us today. Now, one of the things we usually do is try to do a little research on our guests. Yes, and uh, one of the things we looked at um, on your Facebook page, you talked about how most people they minimize their success by they look, let's say, five days in the past, rather, rather than looking five. What they should do is look five years in the past and then ask themselves, where do I want to be five years from now? So let me ask you this. So since we're here real time and we're talking tenant, where were you five years ago? Where are you now? And what do you want to be five years going forward? Right. Uh, five five years ago, I was I was working as a bellman at a hotel in San Francisco, uh, doing background work, student films, little local short films, uh, nothing major, but definitely trying to get get my feet wet in the industry and try to figure out how um, how the whole thing works, how the whole process of filmmaking, and looking forward to now, like it's 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 pretty crazy. It's like it's a game changer for sure, you know. One day I'm sitting at the hotel telling people, hey, um, I want to act and I'm going to move to L.A. And, they, you know, they're sitting there like, John, you've been saying you're going to L.A. for two years. Like, come on, man. We'll believe it when we see it. And then, you know, the day comes and I'm like, all right, you know, Friday's my last day. I'm moving to L.A. And I made the jump. It was scary, but I, I had to do it. Um, and, and once I got here, it was just foot to, you know, foot to the pedal. And and it's, it's really hard sometimes because I fall into that trap, too, you know, of the whole oh, I did an audition last week, I didn't get it, or this, this, and that. But what have you done in the last six months? What have you done in the last year? You know, what have you done in the last couple of years? Like, nothing happens overnight. It's going to take time. It's, it takes hard work. You know, it's not, it's not just one and done. So looking at the big picture, you know, looking at the, the wider range of, of what has happened rather than, you know, the, the few shortcomings in the last couple of weeks or whatnot, you know, those don't really make up the big picture. So your uh, your first IMDb credit is the Vince Vaughn Owen Wilson movie, The Internship. Um, Shout out Google. Was that your first time on a set? <laughs> yeah, that was my very first time on a project. Um, it was pretty intimidating to see the whole setup and everything. It's it's interesting. They actually, it was an actual another big eye opener was that the part of the process of filmmaking is that you know these these pr productions have such a big budget sometimes that they can completely 
eliminate aspects out of a film. So this, the scene that, that I did was an arcade scene at Pier 39 in San Francisco. And they, if you've seen the final movie, they replaced that entire scene. And we were there for 13 hours filming that scene. They, they replaced that entire scene with the strip club scene in the film, which I actually thought turned out pretty hilarious. But uh, yeah. yeah, it was like, it was crazy just being there, seeing you know, the, whole, the whole setup, how people work, uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, you know, being huge fans of them and watching, you know, Wedding Crashers mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of his films in the early thousands, uh, Vince was killing it. And so leading up to that point, it was just kind of, it was hard to kind of be in the moment and without the whole excitement of, you know, being there. But um, I used, I used that as my, my opportunity to, to ask as many questions as I could and, and learn, okay, what are the different uh, job descriptions on a film set, you know, who does what, what's your job, what's your job, what are you doing, you know, some people would get annoyed and be like, hey, kid, I ain't got time to talk right now, you know, because they're busy, and I get it, at the time, you kind of, you're new, you're young, but yeah, that's, that's the number one thing I will say as far as, as doing background work and starting out, use that time, get off Instagram, get off your phone, use that time to stay alert and learn, okay, what's everybody's job description? What are they doing? So that you know how a film set operates if this is an industry you want to be in. That way you're ahead of the game and you really know, okay, this is what's happening. Clearly you took took what you learned there. And I believe in 2013, from what we looked at, you got your first speaking role in repatriation. So, I mean, now your voice has been heard. First, first you went from being on, as they call the cutting room floor, but now your voice is being heard. Like you say, throwing your name back into the hat. Tell us about that, how'd that come and how, how did that feel? I actually got repatriation through a Skype audition, which was a process I didn't even think existed because I was like everything to me, I thought everything was in person, but um, it was, it was cool. It was, uh, it was once again, intimidating. You know, I, I, for, for a very long time, I struggled with being shy and, and a lot of people are thinking, well, how are you an actor if you're shy? And it's like, well, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I mean, that's, that's what makes people that that's part of being a good performer is being able to hide that. But uh, I still I still have some of that, but I, I've definitely broken out of my shell. And with that project, um, I definitely struggled for sure. You know, uh, showing up, I, I didn't have my lines memorized, showing up to set. And it was just, a, it was a, I'll just say it wasn't a learning experience, mostly. <laughs> but it was, it was definitely a fun, it was a fun experience because, you know, I got, to, I got to see the process as far as, you know, changing roles now. I'm not, I'm not somebody walking by in the background. I actually have more responsibility. I'm actually interacting. I'm actually creating a moment. So learning that process definitely propelled me for the for the next thing for sure. So uh, I want to skip all the way ahead to a film you were in recently. It's in post production right now. It's coming soon from uh, Focus Features, um, which is one of my favorite distributors. Like usually anything they put out is going to be awesome. So um, <laughs> it's a uh, boogie. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? What it was like working with um, Eddie Huang. That was actually pretty awesome. Um, I'm not sure how much I can say about it, but as far as the as far as the process, it was it was pretty exciting to be there and uh, see him work. He's unlike anybody I've I've worked with so far. He's he's just full of full of energy. The guy's just always having a good time. You know, anytime there's a moment to uh, you know crack a joke, that's what he's doing. He's making everybody laugh, and it's just good vibes. You know, it was it, it might have been a little stressful for him being his first project of you know. Uh, uh, being a director on his first project like that. So there was a lot of uh, maybe some heat coming down from, you know, timelines and whatnot and getting stuff done. But as far as the, the atmosphere, it was, it was thrilling. You know, he's just, 
full of energy and just a good dude all around. Let me ask you a question. You've worked with a lot of actresses, um, actors, you know, gaffers, whatever. Just do you have any stories that you can share for our show? Any cool stories that people may not know, you know, not about anybody in particular, but just like any cool stories from working with all these different people, like behind the scenes or anything like that? Yeah, we saw a picture of you with Tay Diggs. That was pretty yes. cool. <laughs> Wake up, <Yeah>. Snowflake. Tay <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Tay was dope. He was a cool dude. Um, I I will say um, one of the one of the stories. I, I wouldn't even know if it's a story, but I would say one of the experiences that I, I would say is is working on Tenant. Um, one of the coolest parts of that production. I mean, obviously the experience was amazing, and I'll never forget it. Uh, but one of my favorite parts was at the end of every filming day was the drive back to the hotel, which was an hour and a half drive from set. So in the car, I would be with Aaron Taylor Johnson, John David Washington, sometimes Matthew Marsden. A couple times I was in the car with Robert Pattinson and we'd hop in the SUV, all of us together, and we'd be an hour and a half drive. Depending on the, the type of shoot we did that day, we'd some, sometimes we'd be exhausted and we just lights out the whole ride. And then sometimes we'd sit there and chat it up the whole ride. And most of the time I was kind of, you know, out of the conversation just so I could observe. I like to observe a lot, I like to sit back and just watch. Um, sometimes I would jump in, but that was a cool experience because I got to really learn um, I really got to learn what it's, you know, what it's like to be good people, you know, mm -hmm. and be around good people. I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's a father. So he'd get in the car, he'd hop on the phone with his wife, talk to his kids about how their day at school went, you know, like seeing that and, uh, you know, seeing just, just how these guys interact, the, the stories they talk about, their experiences in the industry, where they started, what they've been through. John talked about football a little bit. Like it was just cool being able to get an inside peek at you know how these guys you know carry themselves as men and as fathers and and that was really like okay you know you were uh, on the red squad thus me representing for the red squad today hey. i'll see you out there you know there you so so t tell us tell us what's that like because again they don't tell you everything on set i mean even uh, most of the actors didn't even really get a hold of the script so you guys are only really being given direction what it's like being out there seeing the blue squad the red squad what's that whole experience like how long were you guys on set for a total and what was that whole experience like <laughs> and follow up on these rides home or back to the hotel at any point did anybody in the car just break the silence and be like all right, what the hell is going on? Because <laughs> I, oh, like, I saw sure. I saw the movie in chronological or what was supposed you know what was supposed to be chronological order as chronological as you can get with Tenet, but I imagine with the shooting <laughs> you're all over the place with the production, so you're getting yeah. it even more disjointed. Um, oh yeah, and I and I read that you know even John David Washington said that he's not even fully sure of what you know what's happening in it, and there's so many theories. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm right there with you to this day. <laughs> It's it's very confusing. I mean, I, I gotta you know I gotta watch it more than once. I'm I'm gonna go back and see it soon. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a lot of people. I, I've heard I, I saw an article yesterday. Someone said they saw it six times already. Right. And they're is, still wondering not, what's going on. Right. Probably. It's 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 crazy because um, real quick I'll say you know when I, I watched Inception re recently and yeah. I think that what well, that movie is going on ten years now and oh, yeah. Yeah. and I'm still every time I watch it I'm still like oh I didn't catch that the first time so. I think that's exactly what's going on here, if not more so. But yeah, mm -hmm. when I when I got to set, um, 
all I knew was was my lines. Um, as far as storyline, nada. You know, as far as you know, I, I didn't I didn't know I didn't even know I didn't even know John was the main character. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I knew he was in it. You know, I knew he was a big part of it. But I mean, he was the only one that I knew was a part of it. And then I get to set and I, I find out Rob's in it and you know, all these other amazing artists, Aaron, you know, I'm finding all these other people are in it. So I really didn't even know the full cast. I didn't know the storyline. All I knew was my involvement. And I just thought to myself, okay, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to fit into the storyline? You know, where are things going? What what, what happened before this? Uh, It's very, it was very confusing, but also very exciting at the same time, because it's like, all right, you know, this is, this is your time to shine. This is your time to prove what can you do? You know what I'm saying? Can you, can you make this work or is your portion going to be completely 180 from whatever, everything else that's going up up until this point? Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of like, it's a mind game, but yeah, nobody gets the script. I mean, the, the leads probably get the script for a limited amount of time. Right. I, I read that Rob was locked into a room, not necessarily locked, but you know, isolated right. in a room leave. by himself. Can't leave, Can't leave with the script. You know, I got to keep the script here, but yeah, uh, Chris's Chris's process is 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 ridiculous. It's 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 awesome though because you see how things turn out. But it's just to think of how everything pieces together. It's it's pretty insane. So how, how long were you on production with Tenant? What was it like working with uh, Christopher? I was there two and a half weeks. Uh, working with him was intimidating because <laughs> he's Chris, you know. But uh, He's a good dude. He's a cool dude. Um, but he knows the thing about him, the thing that makes him so intimidating, obviously, it's not just his, his status as, as of who he is, but he knows what he wants. Right. And, and, and he has it planned out years in advance. So you get to set. There's no like, OK, maybe I want this, maybe that. There's no confusion. There's no delays. It's we're going to get it done. And, and that's it. You know, so that's that's the cool thing was knowing that everything was just structured. And everything was in line and everybody on set knew their job and he he kept everyone you know on point well as they say if you fail to plan then you plan to fail i can definitely tell you that i I saw that he was he was putting this together in his head at least mentally for like two decades and then worked on the on fleshing out the script for like six years so yeah that's that's extra preparation definitely i was going to ask you about this before we let you go and wrap this up on um, we like i said we like to do our research and know who we have on and that's how we know you're so passionate about film and we definitely wish you nothing uh but the best with your career um i was going to say uh as far as everything you have going on now what's coming up because i know me and him found out you were in uh, a film that's in the festival right now the fringe of existence and this is going through festivals right now so tell us how about that and what else you have going on oh uh, yeah Fr- fringe was fringe was a short shot probably a couple of years back. And that was, um, that was directed by Felipe Cisneros. And that one is, it's kind of, it's kind of a tricky one. Uh, it's a little, it's like a, it's, it's another thriller, another mind bender. It's, it's the process. Um, the process with that one is there's, there's one main character jumping from individual to another individual. So we're all, all of us in the cast are, are, are portraying this one person through different people. So it's kind of like, a, I, w- I would say it's kind of like a mini Chris Nolan concept in a way, because it kind of gets you in your head and you're like, okay, who's who, what's going on? So that one, that was a fun one. That one's, like you said, that one's actually circuiting right now. So before we close out, just want to remind our viewers to keep an eye out for 
the Fringe of Existence. Keep an eye out for Boogie when that uh, comes out with Focus Features. Thank you for being one of our first guests on TTFT, man. We definitely appreciate it. The platform is growing. We're going to do right by you, make sure people can find you. And like I awesome. say, man, uh, we enjoy the work. Keep it up, man. Okay. Likewise. Thank you for having me. And uh, you guys definitely keep working hard. And I plan to see more from you guys as well. Thanks, John. That guy's going places. Absolutely. You better believe it. And up next, from across the seas over there, you know, way, way over there. Yeah, it's morning here, but it's afternoon there. I want you guys to welcome in Mr. Jeremy Theobald. So this guest actually attended UCL with Christopher Nolan, where they worked on a number of short films together. He went on to produce Nolan's debut feature, Following, in which he uh, also portrayed Bill as the lead role. Jeremy Theobald, a veteran actor, producer, has starred in a number of Nolan's projects since their UCL days, including Batman Begins and the film of this episode, Tenet. How are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for calling me veteran. <laughs> well, according to your ID, IMDB and your resume, you're quite the, the savvy veteran. So we appreciate you coming on with us. One thing I wanted to ask, uh, I know we'll jump right into it. Uh, we did our research and with you and Christopher, of course, uh, you, your UCL days, when you guys first started working on shorts like Doodlebug and Larceny. Back in those days, I've read that you guys, you know, working during the day, trying to get these films out. What, how, can you tell us a little bit about that time with filmmaking, having a regular job, trying to do these things, and how it began a relationship between you and Christopher? Yeah, so we, um, we met um, at, at college, um, uh, at university, University College London, where we were both studying, and um, Chris's uh, girlfriend, now wife, uh, Emma Thomas, and producer of all of his uh, films, uh, was there as well. Um, we all met through a mutual acquaintance called Ivan, who was the gaffer on, uh, on following. I was running uh, a drama society. Chris was running the film society, and uh, we kind of hooked up. He had a great idea for a short film last week. He wanted to shoot it on a weekend uh, with, with a couple of rolls of black and white 16 mil in, in one location in his flat, just off Tottenham Court Road in London. And... Uh, and it was a great little script. It was it had a twist in it. It was funny. Uh, and, yeah, I, I jumped to the chance. I'd not done a lot of film acting before, so it was uh, a really steep learning curve for me. Um, and that did, um, that, that worked out okay. We, we did a little film festival in the UK uh, for short films, and then Chris came to me afterwards with uh, the script for following and said, look, I want you to play the lead in this. I'd kind of sort of like written it with you in mind and uh, and would you help me produce it as well? And by that, you know, it's, it was, uh, do you have access to uh, locations? Can we use your flat? Have you got friends who are actors who might want to give up a year of their time to be able to do that? Uh, and yeah, I mean, the story of following has been, it's pretty well told. It was made for $6,000. Uh, we filmed it uh, on one day a week on Saturdays for almost a year. Uh, and um, and then it, it, it kind of took off from there when it went to the San Francisco Film Festival, um, in which I literally carried the, uh, the, the prints over uh, on the plane with me. And um, from there it got bought by Next Wave Films, blown up to 35 mil and taken to Toronto, uh, 
film festival and it got sold there for distribution in the US and, uh, and in Europe. And, and that was, yeah, kind of the start of, of Chris's career, which was, uh, uh, as we all know now, has been rather successful. Wow. Yeah, rather. <laughs> and I just want to be clear, did you say his first budget ever was $6,000? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, six thousand dollars. So, so no one got paid uh, at the time, and we had we borrowed equipment from the film society at UCL, uh, and, and Chris bought one roll of black and white sixteen millimeter film a week uh, and processed it uh, and telecined it onto DigiBeta, and then you know put together a sort of like a rough cut each week. Looked at the rushes saw what we needed to do, what we needed to cover, uh, and then eventually put it all together on uh, on DigiBeta as a, as, a, as a final edit, um, and then outputted it to VHS, sent it to film festivals when, you know, there was no film freeway in those days. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, and that's when we then had to, when it was accepted, we then had to go back and do the neg cut and, and do prints, and that cost another like four thousand dollars or something like that so then we had to raise some more money um so yeah the only thing that we spent money on was was the film and uh some, some cheese and some bread for, for catering <laughs> and it's it's now recognized as part of the criterion collection correct uh, yeah it's on dvd um it came out on the criterion collection in, uh, on dvd in the u.s uh, and they did a um uh, a special timed version where the uh, where it's, they actually re-edit it and put it together in chronological order. Uh, and I think that there's uh, there's an interview with Chris on that as well, talking about how we made it. Uh, I think it's on I think it's on Amazon and on iTunes in the US uh, as well, available for purchase and download. Yeah, I saw with the um, if you have the uh, yeah the IFC movie pass, you could watch it on Amazon Prime. So definitely check it out. So with with Christopher Nolan's films, like I, I noticed you mentioned Time in that one, and with uh, Memento, Time seemed to be a pretty big um, theme in that. And then of course with Tenet, um, Time plays a huge role in it. Is that is that it seems to be a running theme in his films? Is that something that always interested him? Yeah, absolutely. What happens in following is there's a fractured narrative. So there's uh, chronologically, there are three timelines that play throughout the, the film and, and you cut in between those uh, and you start to be able to, to piece together uh, the whole story uh, from that. And that was something that, that Chris was really interested in, um, you know, right from the off. And he's played with that sort of fractured timeline before and he's played with it in Memento and he's done it you know, uh, in other films and, uh, and with Tenet I think what is unique is that for the first time he's actually taking time and making it and making it go forwards and backwards which is something that you can only do in, in film you yeah. know the, the, the time travel is one thing but you can't you know nobody saw things go backwards and forwards until somebody actually filmed something and made that happen so um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's been keeping him awake at night for, for a few years now. There were no VFX effect, effects with that scene, the, the the car scene to where like, the, like they brought in professional drivers from all over the world. And you probably know this. There were no VFX. Is that normally his style? Or does he really want to try to, try to keep it as, you know, as visual as possible so you don't think anything crazy is going on? Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris is fairly uh, well known for for eschewing um, 
the, the, the CGI approach and, and to try and do as much in camera as possible. Uh, uh, and I think one of the main stunt drivers was, uh, was Jim, the guy who flipped the truck. Uh, I'm Batman, two thousand uh, Dark Knight. Yeah, Dark Knight, the guy flipped. So he's, uh, yeah, he was there and they shut down uh, like a five-mile section of freeway in Estonia for three weeks to be able to shoot that. Um, and it's, so, yeah, they, it was, uh, I, I don't know how many lanes it was, but it was, yeah, it's, it's five miles long that they had, and they just locked it off at the end, and they said, this is, this is your parking lot, this is your playground for the next three weeks, get on with it. <laughs> so, um, uh, but, but to your question, yeah, so it, it is, it was all, it was all filmed, and a lot of the reverse, um, stuff that you see is not reversed in post. It's it's actually in the IMAX camera and the Panasonic cameras. They were running the film backwards through the camera and just filming it like that. So the the shot of uh, the bow that uh, on the icebreaker and you have a shot looking down on the bow and the, and the waves are splashing backwards over it. Yeah, that's that's all just done with an IMAX being poked out of a little porthole and running the film backwards through that camera. It's not it's not a post production effect, awesome. um, which is yeah insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Jeremy, I wanted to talk about this because again, all of us have favorite actors, directors, people that we want to work with. Now, in 1998, of course, you do the following: you get the lead in that film, and then fast forward is 2005. You just brought up Batman, so that's a good segue. You're doing Batman Begins. How does something like that transpire to where there's a gap and of, of the working, but then, of course, you still have the relationship with Christopher. So do you guys keep in touch? Was there a friendship? What transpired to get this thing going? Yeah, we still uh, we keep in touch. One of the um, really beautiful and, and touching things about uh, Chris and Emma is that they stayed in touch with all of us who worked on, on following. And for every film since Batman begins, we've all been invited to the premiere. So we meet up every couple of years and we go and sit in an IMAX theater and watch Chris's film before, you know, for anyone else sees it, go to the party afterwards and, and meet up and chat and say, that was really interesting. <laughs> you know, how did you do this? And yeah, and, uh, and so we're, we're still in touch. And it's, it's a question of just sort of when I have uh, when I have time and when he has time and when he has space to to, to be able to you know to give me one of those uh, little roles, he he's used his uncle a fair amount as well. Um, John Nolan was uh, the police officer in Following, and he was in Batman Begins. Lucy was in Batman Begins, who plays the blonde in Following. Um, and uh, I think John was in Dunkirk as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be able to, to, to meet up and, and jump back into uh, working with the guy again. Uh, it's just it's tremendous fun um, every time you go on set with him. It's a little peculiar to, to go back on set, and uh, you know Chris doesn't have mobile and he doesn't really use email, so you know, all my sort of like conversations with Emma on email and then with the casting director through my agent and when you're going to turn up and stuff like that and you go and do your, your fitting in a sort of hotel in London and then you just, you know, your car, his call times are ridiculous. 
a car come and picks you up at 5 a.m. from your hotel, and you know, you're bleary eyed, and you're, you're in makeup sitting next to John David Washington going, Oh, hi. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, at half past five in the morning and then you're in costume and you, you walked on to set and Chris is there and at 6.30 and he just comes up and gives you a big bear hug. Like, you know, nothing's changed. Awesome. So it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. With the following, you know, like you said, you're you're doing it in between day jobs um, on a, on a, a small budget. And then, um, you know, you go from that to something like Tenant, which is like one of the largest budget films ever made. Um, can you, one, just talk about the trials and tribulations of what, you know, because I think it's helpful for other filmmakers because everybody has to start there where they have to, they have to be 200%, 100% in, you know, regular life to make things keep going until the dream turns into a reality and they're given a hundred percent of the dream as well. So that gets really strenuous, I'm sure. And I think it's, you know, helpful to hear from somebody that's made it to the other side, you know, what that experience was like for you, um, like on, uh, following, um, and then just witnessing firsthand that evolution from, you know, working on a film like following to working on a film like Tenet how much still remains the same in that process, even with the money involved? Yeah, sure. So, okay, let's uh, let's yeah, let's go back to the beginning. Talk about following and uh, and the way we made that and how we made that. So we we made it with what we had that was available. So it was uh, yeah, it was it was six thousand dollars. It was incredibly small cast. Uh, we had, you know, one camera that was the 16 mil. Uh, we did it in black and white because we didn't really have that many lights or any lights to be able to do it. We used a, a lot of natural light. So the, the film noir sort of style, uh, thriller really worked um, with that. Things like uh, when you're doing really low budget stuff, it's really difficult to... Uh, make guns look realistic uh, because they are always filmed in at the end. Every time you point one or wave one around, it looks like it's plastic. It doesn't look real. They don't make the right sort of sound. You don't get the sort of right reaction when you want to go when they go off. Mm-hmm. So use something else. So 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 Chris uses a hammer uh, for the main weapon uh, in in following um, because that's readily available and it's cheap and you can make a rubber one that looks. Uh, you know, really realistic. Sure. Um, and it's, it's, so those things are about working with what you have available. Um, it's about it's about making films. Filmmakers make films. They go out and they make films with whatever they can. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to wait for, you know, funding to come along to be able to get your $2 million project off, off the ground. You know, mm-hmm. we made a film for $6,000 and it got bought and it got distributed. Yes, times are different now. Uh, you know, we were particularly lucky to to be arriving in the time of uh, guerrilla filmmaking of El Mariachi and Blair Witch Project and stuff like that. But it is still possible to get to get your stuff seen. Um, what's What's the difference? Chris uh, says that the the biggest change for him was going from following to Memento with a professional crew, which was $8 million or thereabouts as a, um, uh, as a budget, uh, as opposed to you know him having the camera on his shoulder and mm. working with friends from college. That was the biggest change. Everything gun. after that, up to, up to Batman Begins, is just a matter of scale. Mm-hmm. 
and Batman begins with insane. You know, we the for the film for the, the scene that I was in, we were in Cardington in Bedfordshire, which is an old airship hangar. So this thing, this 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 airship hangar is like half a mile long and 300 feet wide and 150 feet tall. So the opera house, uh, the frontest piece of the opera house was just, was built inside that aircraft hangar. It's not a real opera house. It was built by the carpenters and, uh, uh, and the set builders in there so that they could do a night shoot during the day because it costs less and everyone doesn't have to stay up overnight. Um, and get tired, and there were, yeah, hundreds of people working working on that on that set, um, and it was very structured as a, a way of working. And uh, Chris talked about the fact that you know he was extremely proud of the way that they worked and and the way that uh, that Wally Fister shot it. But but what they wanted to do, what he did as a reaction to that to go to prestige afterwards is to try and work Love with it. a much smaller crew in a much more uh, spontaneous way uh, and he's tried to take that through a lot of the films since and certainly the the feeling that I got when I came on to set the tenant was this was just a really tight group a small really tight group of people uh, they were all fantastically welcoming to me that half of them, you know, most of them didn't know who I was. A few of them had been following, a few of them knew that I, you know, I've been working with Chris uh, since the beginning, uh, but a lot of them didn't know who I was, but they were all really kind, really welcoming, you know, fantastic to have you on board. But it was just a really tight ship, and he talks, Chris talks about having, trying to create this arena in which, in which performers can really be spontaneous, get their stuff out there, go to the edges of, of their performance, uh, uh, because that's, that's where the gold is. That's what's really special. And that's what you can take out of filmmakers right from a $6,000 movie to all the way up to, you know, whatever um, tenant costs, $225 billion or something like that. It's about the performances. It's about creating that space in which actors can, can really do something special. And with a film like Tenet and with most of Nolan's films from Prestige to Inception to Memento, if there's one, he's pro he probably has the record for most fan theories out there to these films. Everybody leaves out thinking one thing or, or another and I know this hasn't been released everywhere so there are no spoiler alerts here but even John David Washington, you mentioned him earlier, was saying hey listen, I don't even, I had to re read it two or three times, I even don't even know what to think. Now he's the lead, he's the, he's the protagonist of the film and so when you see something like that, like without you giving anything away, if you after your screening of it, you walking out, what did it leave you thinking or feeling? Uh, yeah, so like um, just just to go back a, a second, when Chris first gave me the, the script of following, like I said, it's got a fractured narrative in it, uh, and there are three timelines that run through it, and and I was reading it, going, okay, you yeah, know, I kind of get it, but as an actor, I had to pull it apart, put it back together in chronological order. So that I could understand my character arc and what I was supposed to be doing on any any particular day, and and Tenet is several orders of magnitude more complicated than that. So I'm not surprised that, that John David didn't, you know, doesn't doesn't get it entirely. <laughs> I didn't get it entirely. I bought the script now, uh, book now, so that I can read it again, uh, and I want to go and see it a few more times. The ride home, me and him left the movies. We were like, so we're very educated. We've seen a lot of films. We've done films. 
Uh, what was it? What happened? I wanted him to speak first, and so then I can speak. So I'm glad you felt kind and, of the same. And way. it was a quiet ride home. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's and it's, it's a film that I'm gonna you know I'm gonna keep on watching. It's gonna stay with you for years. You're just gonna keep on discovering stuff about it and and, and reading stuff about it and thinking about it. And it's uh, you know it's uh, and that's that's kind of the beauty of the films that he makes is that they are the you know, they, they are these enormous, immersive pieces of, of art in which you can just, you know, you can jump in, you can watch it once and go, that was great. Or you can spend hours and hours thinking about it. Um, uh, I'm really going for it. My, my strange take on it is, is that it's kind of a love story without, uh, without trying to reveal too many spoilers. Um, the relationship between Elizabeth Debicki uh, uh, and Kenneth Branagh is very similar to the one between the blondes and the bald guy and following uh, mm. and that uh, he has a hold over her and there's that sort of like abusive relationship that's going mm. on uh, and, and, and John David Washington as, as the protagonist is um, you know goes in and uh, uh, and uh, has to has to break that up and um, uh, I think that's about all I can say. Now. Okay. Otherwise, we are going to get into the, the realm of the plot. What, yeah. what happened? Moving on outside of Tenet. Uh, so, you know, according to IMDb, at least, it looks like you took a 10 year hiatus in your producing. You returned to produce Convergence, which is now available on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. Uh, that was in 2019, where you also produced the short film Custodian. Um, and both films you starred in as well. How, how different is the experience between showing up to set as an actor and showing up wearing the producer hat as well? I've been lucky enough to work with directors whereby um, it's a collaborative process. Uh, so as an actor, you get, to, you get to have a voice and you get to have a say uh, in, in the way that the whole thing is shot and put together and the design and, you know, uh, 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 and even, you know, down to the set dressing is sort of like, do you think your character would have, you know, these books on the shelf or, or, or do you think you would have this or, you know, what is it, uh, what would they wear today? And, and you know, looking through, uh, you know, costumes and different shirts and jackets and things like that. Um, and certainly with Steve Johnson on, on uh, Convergence, uh, it was an incredibly collaborative process and he wanted me on board as a, as a producer because he wanted my input on, on, on everything from the, you know, from the plot and the writing uh, and the structure of the, of the script uh, down to, yeah, as I said, you know, costume and set dressing and, and particular shots mm -hmm. uh, and acting. Um, it can be tough sometimes because you get too caught up in that sort of stuff and you don't do enough. You then have to remove yourself from that and then get yourself in character and think about the theme that you're actually doing uh, and try and be, you know, in the moment and spontaneous and, and feel all of those things. Um, so it's, it, it can be tough, but it's, I think it's incredibly rewarding most of the time because you have far more skin in the game, effectively. <laughs> 
Yeah. I have to say congratulations on Convergence because it's not easy to take 10 years off and then because at least from producing and acting then come back in with, like you say, with both your hands in the pot making this thing happen. You can't truly flesh out your character. You, It's like you're trying to give all to everybody. You're responsible so, for so many things. So when I find out and I do my research and I figure out that you've swept film festivals, a lot of them with this film, to me it's even more, you know, just something that you should be paid homage for because I know how hard it is. So talk about, you know, saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen with this film, but I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to produce it. I'm, I'm in it. I'm doing everything. And then to see the success that it's had, how rewarding is that? Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, there, 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 isn't, there isn't much of a, of a greater feeling than going to a film festival and, and being awarded uh, best film um, because it's, it's just the most enormous relief that... that you, you find other people who actually really value your work and, and, uh, and the amount of you know, time and effort that, that you put into it. Uh, it's not an easy watch uh, as a film if you, if you want to pick it up on, on Amazon Prime. Um, uh, and I'll let you into a secret, it's another $6,000 movie as well. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to have people just, you know, sort of appreciate your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, before we uh, wrap up the interview, I just want to remind everyone that's listening to, uh, well, first of all, to thank you to Jeremy for joining us and to check out Convergence on Amazon Prime, uh, check out Following on Amazon Prime. Um, I definitely will be checking them out. Um, what other projects can we look out for in the future? I made a short film called uh, Celtic Cross in Washington D.C. in January earlier this year, um, and that has been written up as a feature. Now we're hoping to get that funded and made next year as well. Um, so the script for that has been doing some screenwriting festivals uh, and has been doing pretty well. So yeah, we're hoping to, to get that out. I think I think Celtic Cross has got its first festival screening in South Africa, but it's an online festival, so you can. Uh, you can buy tickets for that and watch it online as well. Before you go, Jeremy, I just want to tell you, uh, you're 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 a you you are our type of guy because with me and him again, we love every aspect of film. We always say here, if our bills could be paid, we do this for free. Because again, I'm just listening to you like you're you have the same look on your face from the six thousand dollar budget to the two hundred and five million dollar budget. Like, hey, I'm working, I'm doing what I love. This is my life. This is my passion. And these are the type of people we want to have on TTFT because this is our passion. So I I definitely want to thank you for coming on and remaining one of the true thespians that we have in the field. Thanks very much, guys, for having me on. It's been a fantastic time chatting with you, talking film with you, and uh, talking Christmas films with you as well. Thank you very much, Jeremy, and all of the uh, continued success in the future to you. Yes, and have a great afternoon. We're going to have a great morning, but you have a great afternoon. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, so next up we have Room for Improvement. If you could change one thing... Um, I don't really have anything. I just have an explanation for why I don't have anything. Uh, because what has happened has already happened anyway. So is this really the episode to change anything or offer kind of any kind of hindsight? Um, the only scene when I was watching it and I felt like... Uh, and So in the, in the movie when um, the protagonist and Neil are walking discussing the mission about crashing the plane. Um, that's the only scene that I had a problem with. But only only for a limited amount of time because I was proved wrong. Um, 
because I, when I first watched it, I was like, this is, this feels like way too typical of an action film. The way they're walking, they're, um, you know, it, this real slick about, you know, dialogue back and forth, back and forth, planning, planning. And then right when, the, at the point in the conversation, when they get to the third guy who enters the conversation, sitting on the bench waiting for them, it's now his turn to speak. They've now somehow coincidentally timed oh. it to where they get to him and it's his turn to talk and he gets up and just joins the conversation. That was the only thing you it. mentioned on the ride home. It was not a question. You made sure you mentioned that but for you. Yeah. Then I thought about it. Like my 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 problem with that was they it seems like they like that's too coincidental. In any other movie it would have been too coincidental. But in Tenet Neil has already been through all of this. A billion times. So of course he could have timed that conversation. So I was wrong, and Christopher Nolan was right, and I have nothing that I could think of that I'd want to change about that. I wish they'd explain a little bit less. Yeah, the, oh, which is a very nice segue, because the only thing I would change about this, if I could change it, because it's already happened, is um, if I'm going to spend, as a, as a filmmaker and as a, a lover and watcher of film, if I'm going to spend two and a half hours in the film, I don't expect you to spoon feed me, but when I leave, I need to be able to at least have some causality of what really truly did happen i'm not i'm not asking for a closing answer to me so i i feel like if i'm being honest and if we're going to be honest on this program the show that we do that we have to give them our honest opinions is that i felt like he he didn't give enough because you as you mentioned michael you feel like michael kane's performance suffered of it suffered from it some actors are going to thrive on that moment some won't and you can best believe that some fans and some movie watchers are going to be like i just didn't it's i, I came to the movies to see this it looked dope but mm -hmm. i mean what yeah, happened? The, the Twilight Girls were I, I, right, I right. So, so them, but even, but even, yes, them, but us. We paid attention the entire time. There was not one time we looked at our phones. I don't even think we blinked that many times. We still walked out like, whoa, are we really here or something? So, to me, if I would change anything, it would be that. Okay, if you're gonna do that to me, if that would have took place over ninety minutes, I wouldn't even be complaining right now. But if I'm staying two and a half hours, you owe me a little bit more than hey, you put it together. Like, no, I, 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 I no. I, I do disagree with you on that, and I actually have my rebuttal for why I disagree already. Wait a minute, so you, you've lived, you knew I was going to say this? Patterson? No, no, uh, maybe, but, uh, uh maybe, <laughs> that's kind of f***ing with me. No. I, I have uh, the rebuttal, I didn't, I just my, said the shit. My rebuttal is actually in the f***s given, like how many f***s I given and why I would recommend it, but I, but I, I guess, you know, that is your, because every time we make a film, I'm usually leaning more towards the less information, more abstract, and you're always the one that comes in with the voice of reason that's like, all right, hear me out, you can nix this if you want, but what do you think about just dropping them this little morsel of information or something for we them to chew on the kind of, We did yeah. that kill, yeah. So I, I totally get where I that is fitting for you and I don't I like I'm sure that most people would agree, but I I I really like I really like confusion, even at the end of a movie. Um, but I'll save my rebuttal for the oh. f given. Do well, you... introduce us then. What's what right, is our next thing? Yeah, right the f into f given. How many f do we give to this thing? Bang bang. Zero out of five. F uh, a fistful of f a handful of. F How many use? How many? F all right, so for me, since you have your rebuttal already written down from the first time we ever before we saw Tenet, uh, for me, I I did an average. So visually, I gave this five. Like vi visually five. Okay. Hear me out. Oh, visually, okay. so we're gonna, visually, we're gonna get to an average. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So I did an average. So visually, I gave it five. For the acting, 
I gave four f**ks. I gave four f**ks across the board for everybody's performance. Like he hit Michael Caine me to death at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Would have been a solid fight if it wasn't. It got caned. Storyline. We uh, we agree to disagree. I gave it three f**ks. Because again, yeah, again, if two and a half hours, you. I mean, that's just my opinion. From one director to another. No longer all over again. Overall, I gave the film three and a half. Three and a half. Okay. Yeah. That's Overall, solid. three and a half. Yes. I give Tenet four and a half. For most of the movie, you don't have answers; just a lot of clues. Mm -hmm. Even after the movie, and I and I'm I'm proving this is this is my rebuttal that I had written down last night. Even after the movie, you don't really have answers so much as you have theories. So you True. even leave the movie with theories. With that said, I still felt full when we left. For the entirety of the film. From, from literally the first frame to the credits, I was entertained, intrigued, invested throughout the entire thing. It was perfectly paced, and I just, I left feeling, feeling full. I left, uh, I mean, there were moments where I was blown away, and even at the end when I didn't have all the answers, I didn't feel cheated because you, uh, you go to a movie sometimes not to not to get answers sometimes you just go to be entertained and True. for me entertainment isn't reliant upon how how sure i am about something especially at, for the first movie to come out in the 2020 covid 19 pandemic world that we live in um get used to not being sure about shit. and this is a great movie to kind of at least at, at least i mean i mean in reality we're not even really that entertained at least this film had the decency to entertain us without answers reality just fucks with us with no answers it made us question it i will say that it made us talk about it and that's one thing i can't disagree with you on that we you will leave with theories and the, 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 at the end of the day the sign of a great film is a film that you can watch over and over again and this will be one of them because again you will catch things like, each time like he didn't limit it he he could have given the answer because oh, yeah. I believe he knows what what the what Correct. in his mind what the actual theory is Christopher Nolan, but that would have been cheating the audience out of all of the possible answers that they're coming up with. Right, like, I just so wish you could just one not cheating many. me out of the extra thirty minutes. That's <laughs> okay. all so I'm asking. Just, it just dropped the time. Wanted it to be shorter. Right, and I'd be like, all right, cool. I'll go home and figure this out. But now I got to go home and take a nap. Yeah. I'm older now, man. I'm wise. I'm vintage. So there we go, man. Hey, that was given david tell us we have it coming next week oh my god next week i am so excited next week is is it the walking dead you man it is a it is the living wake um <laughs> a wonderful awesome fantastic movie honestly the number one film out of any film in the history of films as far as as far as i am concerned so are you coming in as the cast cute crew and you for next week are you doubling up are we interviewing you for the for the segment next week no are no. you sure um this film is uh it's uh written and uh stars uh, mike o'connell um and his character k rothanu is just it is out of this world. It is, it's just, I highly recommend it. We'll be talking about that next week. Um, it also stars uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse Eisenberg mm -hmm. and Jim Gaffigan. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, Mike O'Connell shines in the film as the, as the lead star, uh, as the person that penned the crazy dialogue and insane, surreal reality that this film takes place in. 
Um, it is a comedy like no other, and I could not recommend it highly enough. I cannot wait to talk about it next week. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. So, hey, listen, guys. You know what? That was the f***ing time. That was the f***ing show. And that's the f***ing trailer. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to like. Be sure to share. Please. I'm sorry I'm pointing so like this. But do all that and find us in all these places. And have a wonderful week, everybody. We will see you next Thursday. Hey, the booth needs us. That's the trailer.